All right, so Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 says this. But when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. When the king, or then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for the one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into internal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me any clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least one of my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, and the righteous will go into eternal life. Pretty, uh, pretty strong words that he uses. What we're talking about today uh, is obviously the difference between heaven and hell. And uh, he puts a, a certain amount of seriousness on, on what he's talking about. But let me ask you this. Do you think that what Jesus asked us to do in this passage of Scripture is different from how society has told us to give or help people today? Do you think that's different? And how so? So think about that for a minute. And maybe, maybe we need to go through a, a few examples to kind of get a picture of, of what I'm talking about. So let's assume that, you know, me and Daniel are buddies, right? Let's say that we're heading in town, and uh, we're going through 160, passing McDonald's, and we pull up to the stoplight. We stop, didn't run the red light, Robert, and uh, we stopped, and there's a guy standing by the stoplight with a sign that says, car broke down, need money, hungry, anything will help. Would most people in here help him today? No. Why... Why have we come accustomed to not helping him? You give me give me a reason. Because what, Michael? Because he's a stranger. He's a stranger. Okay. Well, we also we don't know what he's going to do with the money that we give him. You know, I don't know if I'm going to give him a hundred bucks and he's going to walk behind McDonald's and hop in his Mercedes Benz and drive off, right? So w- there's a certain amount of you know uncertainty that that we have. Okay, let's, let's try another one. Let's say that me and Debbie are in Walmart, 
and there's a lady in front of us that's checking out, and we're waiting. And uh, this lady has her five little kids, and they're running around everywhere, and, and she's got a cart full of groceries, and she pays for her groceries with food stamps, and she runs short on money. And the cashier says, you have to take some of this stuff back. Would we pitch in the extra money to help this lady? Some would, some wouldn't. Why? Because what society tells us is that we have an entire generation of people who are abusing the system, and we think, well, they're already getting money from me through my tax dollars. They're already getting uh, what they should have, and you know, she should take the stuff back, right? Let's try another one. Let's say I'm filling up at the gas station, and uh, a guy pulls up in his beat-up old pickup truck and comes up to me and says, Hey, I'm just passing through town. Uh, I don't have any money. I'm going to run out of gas. Would you give me some gas? Would most people help him? Maybe. Why wouldn't you help him? Because you don't know if the money that he would have spent on gas, he's going to go buy drugs, or he's going to do, go do whatever he wants to do and just abuse my generosity, right? We have this uh, conception that we don't know what people are going to do with the money that we give, and if we don't know what they're going to do with it, then we're not going to give it to them. And I think this comes from the, the fact that people are hard to love sometimes, right? Why? Because people burn us. We try to do something loving or kind for someone, and we don't get back the results that we want to get, or somebody abuses what we've given, and so then we begin to harden our heart to giving or helping people. And once we've been burnt, we're going to do anything and everything to avoid being burnt again, right? So as we were going to Texas, I was listening uh, to one of these books that... um, it had a, a little quote in there that I haven't been able to get off of my mind. And it says this. By encouraging us to expect the worst in others, it often brings out the worst in us. Dreading the role of a chump, we often heed our nobler instincts. What I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap my mind around a lot of different things. And I've come to this conclusion that there's three types of people in this world. There's people who are givers, there's people who are matchers, and there's people who are takers, okay? And we're going to talk about all three of them. So, for instance, a taker is someone who is trying to get more value out of something than they're willing to put into it. So, for instance, uh, let's use the workplace for an example, People are always trying to get more money out of their workplace when in reality they may not be putting the value into the business to match the income that they think that they should be making. If we wanted to get political, we could talk about a $15 minimum wage. There's different aspects just like that that, we, that, that people think that they need more when in reality they may not be putting the value into it. Does that make sense? A matcher. A matcher is someone who basically trades favor for favor. So Dylan and I are cousins. Let's say I do something for Dylan. And in turn, in my mind, 
Dylan owes me a favor now. And this is how we base a lot of friendships and a lot of relationships. But in reality, trading favor for favor isn't being a friend, it's being a creditor. And so there's, there's that aspect. But a giver, a giver is someone who is continually focused on providing more value than they're going to receive in payment. And payment isn't always monetary. But it's someone who's trying to put in more value than what they're going to get back. So before we go any further, I know as soon as an employee of a church mentions giving, people immediately go think about tithe. And I want you to take the word tithe this morning, and I want to want you to put it right beside 70s and 80s disco and just forget about it for a little bit. Because that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about giving to, to people. We're talking about serving people. And it's more than just in, in a monetary way. But naturally, you have already tried to decide what category you fit into. And more than likely, you've probably already tried to tell yourself that you're a giver. Because while, while I'm reading all of these books, I'm trying to do the same thing. You know, you're, you're blocking out things in your mind, like, oh yeah, I'm going to forget about that because I want to fit in this category, right? And, and I want you to just completely forget about where you're trying to place yourself. And uh, we'll go through some things and we can really have a, a good evaluation of where we're at. So I, I want to I ask you a couple questions and uh, you just give me, give me honest feedback, Okay. What jobs do you think that givers do, like as far as an occupation? Teachers, okay? Give me another one. Ministers, okay? Give it to me quick. Nurses, doctors, okay? Anybody else? Police officers, yes. Firemen, soldiers, okay? Any others? We get them all? Okay. Mothers, yep, that's a good one. Okay. And dads, yep. <laughs> so let's put it on the other side of things. What occupations do you think a taker fits into? The first one that comes to mind, I think, is, is the fastest. There's something happening back there. I don't want to know what it is. The, the thing that I think comes first to mind is usually... Lawyers, right? Um, salespeople, uh, politicians. Um, we could go into a, a lot of categories like that. But what I want you to understand today is the truth is, is that giving, taking, or matching has nothing to do with your occupation. There's people that fit into all categories, okay? Some of the most giving people that I have ever met in my entire life have been salespeople or uh, lawyers or doctors or whoever. But also on the flip side, some of the biggest takers that I've ever seen in my life have been teachers and other aspects. And so we, we like to stereotype an occupation and say, well, they're, they're a giver or they're a taker or they're a matcher. But in reality, it matters person to person where you fit in uh, to these, these categories. So don't just think, like, don't just think because you're a teacher this morning that you're immediately a giver is what I'm trying to get at. 
And I want you to be open-minded uh, about some examples that I'm going to give you about this uh, here in just a second. Hang on. There's two principles that I want you to grasp today. And I want you to think about how they apply to everything we're going to talk about. But principle number one is we need to be focused on providing more value than we're going to receive and benefit. Okay? That's number one. Number two is going to be stop keeping score. All right? So with those two things in mind, I want you to just, I want you to feel where these examples go. All right? Just, just feel what category they go into. So let me ask you this question. This is example number one. Are you providing more value to your family than what you're trying to gain from it? Naturally, this is kind of where, where I started in this conversation. And I started thinking about, you know, Taylor and I's structure of our house. It's kind of weird because we've never actually talked about it. But there's this, like, unwritten rule of who's in charge of what. It's never actually been discussed. But we both, like, if she was here today, I wish she could say because she would tell you the exact same thing. We've never actually talked about it, but it's just what we do. So, for instance... Taylor could be angry, let's say she's angry at me today because I haven't taken out the trash. The reason that she's angry about this is because if she then has to take out the trash, she's doing 80% of the work and she feels like I'm only doing 20. And at the exact same time, I see something that's in Taylor's responsibilities that I see that she hasn't done and in turn... I feel like I'm doing 80% of the work and she's only doing 20. And at the exact same time, we both think that we're doing 80% of the work and we're not. Okay? This is how a, a matcher is. And the truth is, is that in a lot of different aspects of life, we've been keeping score. We've been trying to keep track of who has done what for us and in turn, are we going to do the same thing for them? We've been trying to keep score. And I'll tell you, whether it's in marriage, whether it's friendships, or whatever you're involved in, a 50-50 proposition is a failed proposition. Because you're trying to be a matcher, and you're keeping score. Okay? So I want you to, to grasp that. Because a, a giver is focused on how can I provide more value to my family than what I'm drawing from it. And this isn't just about money. This is about every aspect of, of your life, okay? So let's go to number two. What about work? I think we're often frustrated, uh, you know, that we don't get paid enough or, you know, our jobs are not always what we want to do. There's some things about it that we don't like. But I think that if we want to get to a higher position or a different position, we have to give ourselves to that position before we ever get the promotion. Does that make sense? Because there's, there's a, a big difference between someone who's willing to give to their family and give to their workplace and give to every aspect of their life and be in complete and total service to people rather than just seeing what we can draw and benefit from these different aspects. And this is, number three, I think, is probably the hardest one to grasp. 
because it's how about church? A lot of people go to church. I mean, there's millions and millions and millions of Americans who are going to go to church today. Are we trying to draw more value from church than we're willing to put into it? Because I think I've been trying to figure out the, the why behind what people do. And I think a conclu- one of the conclusions that I've came to is that people choose a church based off of a need that they have. And if that need is not being fulfilled, then the option is to go somewhere where they can get that specific need fulfilled. But the truth is, is that if we have, that's, that's very much a taker mindset. If we have a giver mindset, we're thinking about how I can provide the most value to this thing that I'm involved in. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at here? And, and I truly think to, to truly grasp this, you're going to have to think about it for a lot longer than just today. I've been chewing on this for quite a while and I'm still figuring it out. But I think this, this level of giving that we're talking about is far beyond any expectation that has ever been established. Jesus Christ himself was willing to be crucified on a cross for you and me. So, I mean, I think the level of giving that God is calling us to do, the amount of service that he's calling us to do, is far beyond any expectation that's been established. And I think it's easy to say, well, you know, giving is, is great to talk about, but what's in it for me? What's in it for me to give that much? And if you've asked yourself that question today, you've figured out what category you fit into. But I, there actually is uh, benefits to giving, believe it or not. And in one of uh, the pages of the book, this, he, this guy ran a study And I'm just going to read it to you. It says, using data from almost 30,000 Americans in the year 2000, he controlled every factor imaginable that would affect income and giving. He adjusted for education, age, race, religious involvement, political beliefs, and marital status. He also accounted for the number of times people volunteered. As expected, higher income led to higher giving. For every $1 in extra income, charitable giving went up 14 cents. But something very much more interesting happened. For every $1 in extra charitable giving, income went up $3.75 higher. Giving actually seemed to make people richer. For example, imagine that you and I are both earning $60,000 a year. I give $1,600 to charity. You give $2,500 to charity. Although you gave away $900 more than I did, According to the evidence, you'll be on track to earn 3375 more than I will in the coming year. Surprising as it seems, people, give more, people that give more go on to earn more. And I really do believe that there are benefits to giving, but that's not why we give. We give because Jesus has called us to give and to serve the people the people that are sick, the people that may take advantage of you, the people who are in prison or or whatever, Jesus has called us to serve them all. But I think I think I like many people for a while kind of had my heart hardened to this particular subject because like I said people can be really difficult to love. They take advantage of you, you know, you don't see what you're investing in people actually take root 
and do something. And I've really tried to, to make a conscious effort like the last several weeks to give to people far beyond the expectation. And you may say, well, you're a pastor. That'd be really easy to do. It's actually not. Because just like we said, I don't care what occupation you're involved in, whether you're a teacher or whoever, giving is giving. Going above and beyond the expectation is giving. And so it doesn't matter you know, what you're involved in. You have to choose to give to somebody. Whether that's you know, buying somebody's meal at a restaurant or um, however you may serve someone. Maybe someone just needs some help. Like this book, uh, it said there's no reason in the world why you shouldn't be willing to do a five-minute favor for someone, anyone, no matter what the favor is. And honestly, I really want to challenge you this week to, to make a conscious effort to give to people, to give to them on a level that's, that's far beyond what the expectation is. And, you know, everybody's expectation on what giving is may be different, but still, making an effort to give, I, I can't even tell you the benefits. Honestly, what I've seen is that me being willing to give to somebody else, what it did is it softened my heart and brought God and I closer. The scripture says, whenever you give yourself to God, or whenever you draw near to God, he draws near to you. There's a, a giving principle that's there. Or maybe even just like Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday was the start of the Lenten season, and a lot of people uh, give something up until Easter, and every time, let's say it was, they gave up pop or something. You know, every time they thought about drinking a pop, that was their time of prayer and, and giving themselves and getting closer to God. You know, maybe it's, it's that simple. Or, you know, whatever it may be. But I want to prove to you what I'm, what I'm saying today. And I realized uh, who one of the, the biggest givers in the Bible was, and his name was Abram. Abram had a, you know, cattle on a thousand hills kind of deal. He had tons of land and tons of cattle, and he was very successful, and he was a man of God. He also uh, was, had his uh, nephew Lot living with him. Lot was also very successful. He had a bunch of cattle and that kind of stuff, and eventually their farms actually grew big enough that it was causing a rift between their servants. And so Abram goes to Lot, and he says, hey, Lot, I think that we need to part ways. We have all of this land and everything together, but it's causing a lot of problems, and there's no rift that's worth the kind of environment that we're living in. Who, why should we let this come between our family? Let's just split up. And instead of Abram also being you know, the, the bigger of the farmer and the oldest, instead of just saying, hey, Lot, you go over there and take that land, I'll go over here. Abram says, hey, Lot, I'll let you pick any region that you want to go to, and you can have it, and I'll go the other way. And so uh, a guy like Lot, who I think is probably you know, more so on how the world would respond, Lot gets to pick the land that he's going to, and he immediately starts scheming. He starts figuring out which land is the best. 
which land is going to bring him the most profit and raise the best cattle and, and be the most successful farm. And, of course, he picked the land that butts right up to the Jordan River. And uh, Lot goes his separate way, and so Abram goes his separate way. But why do you think that Abram was willing to let Lot pick the land? Have you thought about that? If he had every right to take whatever land he wanted and tell Lot to go the other way, why did he let Lot pick? Because a guy like Abram has the faith that it doesn't matter if he's in a dry desert or if he's in the most plentiful land in the world, the Lord is going to bless him. And he understood this concept. And so, obviously, they, they split ways and Lot got the land he wanted. But what's interesting enough is that shortly after Lot picked the land and went there and started his, uh, started his farm, war broke out in the region that he chose. And Lot was captured. Everything that he had was taken, and uh, he was in prison. But one of Lot's uh, servants ended up escaping and got word back to Abram that uh, Lot had been captured. What do you think Abram did? Did he tell him, it's his bed, he has to sleep in it? No. He got all of his warriors, and he went after to go rescue Lot. And he conquered the, uh, the, peop- the army that had taken Lot, and, he- and Abram got all of their possessions, got everything, and got Lot back. Do you know what he did with all of what he had gotten from rescuing Lot, even though that he was giving just trying to get Lot back? You know what he did with all the money? He tied the tent and gave the rest away. Because he told him, he said, you know, if, uh, if I take this money, you're going to say that you're the one that made me rich. You can have it all. I don't need a dime of it. Because the Lord is my provider. A little bit later, um, God comes to him, comes to Abram and says, because of what you've done, your willingness to give and to serve and to love me, I'm going to bless you. And Abram says, but Lord, how are you going to bless me or what's the point of blessing me if I don't have anyone to leave all of my inheritance to? He didn't have a son at the time. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to provide you a son. And just shortly after, he tells Abraham that you're going to be the father of many nations. And he changed his name. It was Abram. He changed his name to Abraham. And he says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he was old at the time, and you know God did a miracle. But anyways, Abraham gets his son, right? I'm pretty sure at this time his son's like 30, okay? And uh, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. Even though it was the only, his only heir, or his only heir to, to all of everything that he had. And yet, Abraham again says, okay, no problem. And so he takes his son up. Uh, to sacrifice him to the Lord and he literally raises an axe and is getting ready to kill his son and God stops him and says, no, don't do that. And in turn, Abraham is still today the father of many nations. And at the same time, one could argue that God was willing to send his only son to die on a cross because Abraham was faithful and was willing to sacrifice his son. pretty crazy. 
But you can see through everything that Abraham has and everything that he was willing to do, he knew that it doesn't matter if I give $100 to the guy by McDonald's and he goes and hops in his Mercedes and drives off. My giving does not depend on what he does with what I've given. If the Lord tells me to give or to serve or to do whatever, my job is to do it. Not look for the result of what's going to happen if I do it. Does that make sense? I don't want to run out of time here. But uh, I think sometimes we're scared to give or we're scared to serve because we don't want to be taken from. We don't want to be seen as a chump or someone who's uh, you know, been taken advantage of over and over and over again. And I'm not saying that people who uh, abuse that, you don't give to them in a different way. But the fact of the matter is, is that the scripture that we read, Jesus is literally saying that heaven and hell depends on our willingness to give to people. And I don't care if that's a stranger on the side of the road or if it's your family whenever you go home. Are you providing more value to them than you're going to receive and benefit? Does that make sense? It's kind of a tough pill to swallow, honestly. Um, And one that hasn't been super easy for me. And I think in... It's natural in any, any scripture that we're reading, there's a certain amount of uh, repenting that has to be done <laughs> in order to get to the, to the level that we're talking about here. But Abraham could have easily just been keeping score. He could have said, I gave Lot you know, the best land and everything else. He could have said, he's not my problem. Abraham could have coveted his only son that God gave him but instead he was willing to give him up. And I think the fact of the matter is, is that giving depends on your understanding of who God is. Because whenever we give to someone, like let's say the guy at McDonald's we were talking about, if I give him $100 and he goes off and hops in his Mercedes and drops off, I see that as a $100 loss to me. But the truth of the matter is, is, is that what we have isn't ours anyway. Money is a byproduct of success and really isn't even a part of the conversation. What happens whenever you give is that you are willing to part with something that you feel is yours. So in turn, what happens here is, is that you realize that what I have isn't mine. And when God tells me to give, or he tells me to serve, or he tells me to spend my time, (laughs) the only clock that's ticking here is because of God anyway. So whenever he tells me to give, or to serve, or to do whatever, I'm on his time anyway. So why would I not serve? Why would I not give? But we fear giving because of what people will do with what we give. And it's not even important 
and the truth is, is that I think in our culture, what our culture has trained us to do is to give to people who are going to get up and they are going to do well with what we have given. If I give $100 to the guy at McDonald's, I want to see him go put 40 of that in his truck and gas. I want to see him drive his rear end to Redneck, walk in the door and apply for a job and never have to borrow money from me again, right? I want to see him go do well, be able to go start a family, to be able to be completely self-sufficient and never have to ask another for another dime. That's what I want to see, right? But if our giving is contingent on what other people do with it, then that's not being a giver, that's just as much being a taker. Because you are giving money to something that you in turn are going to receive some kind of sense of pride or something from the success of somebody else. And even though we feel like we're in the giving role, we're really being just as much of a taker as anybody else. Because the truth is, is that giving is providing more value than you're going to get. And I think you have to understand that up front. But we can't ask ourselves, well, what am I going to get from giving that guy a hundred bucks? And again, we figured out which role that we're going to fit into in this. And the truth is, is that even if you are, let's say in what we've talked about today, you've realized that in a lot of aspects you are a taker. A taker can easily be changed into a giver. But you have to think about things differently. You have to let Jesus take control of your heart because the truth is is that whenever you give your heart to Jesus, he's going to give it back to you and it's going to look exactly like his. And his heart is to give. His heart is to serve. So if we're going to be the hands and feet of Christ, it doesn't matter with it doesn't matter what people do with what we give or how we serve them. We're just called to serve. Once we give and serve and help in every way we can, we've done our part. The, the rest isn't even up to us. But we take pride in that part. And we have to let go of that. There's a lot to this that we can, we can get into. We can go even deeper. But the fact of the matter is, is if we're going to stay in this part, I want you to think about today, whether it's with your family, whether it's with your workplace, whether it's with your church, whether it's in friendships, if it's missions you're involved in, or whatever it is, ask yourself, am I providing more value than I'm actually receiving in benefit? And I think this is where things begin to change. Ask yourself, am I keeping score? And that's a hard one to grasp. Because if people aren't willing to do things for us, why would we do them for them? That's what the world teaches. But what I want to encourage you with today is provide more value than you're getting in benefit and quit keeping score. 
And what I think you're going to see is you're going to see you start to change. Because when we harden our heart to other people, it brings out the worst in us. And if we're going to be born again Christians who are out in this world representing what Jesus Christ looks like to the world, we're going to have to serve a little bit differently. We're going to have to think a little bit differently.